Dear Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the gift of children, for the, for the work as parents that you've called us and responsibilities you've given us to do. And God, we pray now that as we dig into your word that, that we would see just uh, the glories across every page of scripture. God, that your word would speak to us this morning and that we would see Jesus Christ glorious and majestic and holy God, that we would treasure you and your word more than anything else in this world. God, more than football games, more than cars, more than houses. Lord, that you would be our greatest treasure. And Lord, we, we pray that as a church, Lord, that we would, we would understand your word and receive it with faith. And Lord, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather here together. God, thank you that you are in our midst. And we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we just finished our week of prayer and fasting, and we just had such a great time of, with our prayer meetings. We had a meeting on, on Monday and Wednesday and, and Friday, and we just, it was just a, a great time to be together as a family, just calling upon God. And I look forward to the Sundays after the weeks of prayer and fasting that we do have, because I feel like that Sunday there's such an expectancy that God is going to show up, that God is going to be here, that God is going to speak to us. And even this morning, as, as we were just being led in worship, I just felt just, just, uh, just an excitement for the Lord. And so how good of God that he would give us those seasons where we would seek his face and he would show up and he would speak and he would give us his presence. Well, we are starting this week on a series on vocation. And I know as you even hear, they think, wow, that sounds really exciting. Just can't wait for a series on vocation. We spent a whole month talking about jobs. That's great. I know that's how you feel, but as, as I begin to think and pray about this series, I just really have an excitement in my heart because this aspect of vocation affects all of our lives. This affects every single one of us. We are all in vocations, multiple vocations, not just vocations where it's a paid full-time staff position somewhere, but vocation as parents, as children, as, as citizens of the government, as, as, as people who attend church. We've all got these many different vocations. And as I begin to dig into this, I, I really... I really feel like God would, would have us get a, just a bigger picture of the way in which he works upon this earth through us and to us and the way that he works in us. And so I, I, I was reading an article in World Magazine, I think maybe in September, and it really caught my eye. And it was, this, it was a gentleman by the name of uh, Edward Veith. And he's a, he's a professor at a university, I think in Minnesota. And as I read this article, he began to describe... Martin Luther's understanding of vocation and the understanding that would come out of the, the Reformation in the 16th century. And as I began to read this article, it was only like a two pages. I really, my wheels started turning. I thought, this, this has potential. So I emailed this guy and we corresponded with emails back and forth for a while. And I told him my idea for, the, for a, a sermon series on this. And he was all about it. He was excited for it. And so a lot of what I have what, what, what I will be presenting to you in the next few weeks comes out of Edward Veith's work on the doctrine of vocation. So I want to give him credit because he's really influenced 
my thinking on the doctrine of vocation. So let's, let's get started. I just want to read for us a story. When I was a boy, I felt it was both a duty and a privilege to help my widowed mother make ends meet by finding employment in vacation time on Saturdays and other times when I did not have to be in school. For quite a while, I worked for a Scottish shoemaker, a cobbler, as he preferred to be called, an Orkney man named Dan McKay. He was a forthright Christian, and his little shop was a real testimony for Christ in the neighborhood. The walls were literally covered with Bible texts and pictures, generally taken from old-fashioned scripture sheets and almanacs, so that the look where, no matter where you'd look in a shop, you'd see the Word of God staring back at you. It was my chief responsibility to pound leather for shoe, for shoe soles. A piece of cowhide would be cut to suit and then soaked in water. I had a flat piece of iron over my knee, and with a flat-headed hammer, I pounded those soles until they were hard and dry. It seemed an endless operation to me, and I wearied of it many times. What made my task worse was the fact that a block away, there was another shop that I passed going and coming to or from my home. And in it sat a jolly, godless cobbler who gathered the boys of the neighborhood about him and regaled them with lewd tales that made him, made him dreaded by respectable parents as a menace to the community. Yet somehow he seemed to thrive in that perhaps to a greater extent than my employer, McKay. As I looked at his window, I often noticed that he never pounded the soles at all, but took them from the water Nailed them on, damp as they were, and with water splashing from them, he drove each nail in. One day I ventured inside, and something I had been warned never to do. Timidly I said, I notice you put the soles on while still wet. Are they just as good as if they were pounded? He gave me a, a wicked leer as he answered, They come back all the quicker this way, my boy. Feeling I had learned something, I related the instance to my boss and suggested that I was perhaps wasting time in drying out the leather so carefully. Mr. McKay stopped his work and opened his Bible to the passage that reads, Whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Harry, he said, I do not cobble shoes for just the four bits and six bits that I get from my customers. I am doing this for the glory of God. I expect to see every shoe I have ever repaired in a big pile at the judgment seat of Christ. And I do not want the Lord to say to me on that day, Dan, this was a poor job. You did not do your best here. I want him to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. He went on to explain that just as some men are called to preach, so he was called to fix shoes. And that only as he did this well would his testimony count for God. It was a lesson I have never been able to forget. And often when I have been tempted to be careless and to slipshod effort, I have thought of dear, devoted Dan McKay. And it, and it has stirred me to seek to do all that I have for him who has died to redeem me. It's a good story and it's a good illustration for us as we begin to think about the doctrine of vocation. When Jesus prays and asks, give us this day our daily bread, we realize that as we have bread on our table... It got to us somehow. Now, God could miraculously provide for us. God could miraculously, as we pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. God could miraculously put a loaf of bread on our table 
smelling great and fresh out of the oven. But how does the bread get there? How does the bread get to our table when we ask that prayer? Well, you've got a farmer somewhere who grows the crop and you've got a truck driver who comes and, and gets the crop and takes it to the, the bakery and the baker bakes it and then the baker gets it onto a truck to the supermarket and then from the supermarket to our house. And then in the midst of all that, you've got futures investors and financers and bankers and marketers and everyone else in between to get a loaf of bread from the field to our table. And we say, Lord, thank you for giving us bread. There's an understanding there that even in that, even in that prayer, that God begins to use people as the means by which he causes the answer to our prayer to come. And so there's this understanding that God is the one who provides. Psalm 111.5 says, God provides food for those who fear him. In Psalm 136, it says, he gives food to all people, whether you're a Christian or not. Because of this, God is responsible for giving us our daily bread. And so when we pray, Lord, give us today our daily bread, and we open our eyes and there is food set before us, we understand that this comes from the Lord. It's from the Lord. It's his provision. God could provide, like I said, miraculously, but he often chooses to use the normal means of people serving one another to provide the very thing that we've been praying for. So, the doctrine of vocation, when we, as we begin to talk about this, is this simply means that God has chosen to work through human beings in their different work and talents and capacities to serve one another. That's simply all that it means. It means that God's using human beings in all of our different abilities and jobs, where we work, what we do, how we serve one another, to bring about his purposes. It's a doctrine of vocation. And it affects all of our lives. When we get sick, we pray for God to bring a miraculous healing to the person. God can absolutely touch someone at that moment and bring healing. But often the way that God works is that we go to the doctor. He prescribes some medication for us. The nurses check us out, give us some shots, go to Walgreens. We get the prescription. We get home. We take the medicine. We start feeling better. But yet it is God at work. When we are in a big decision that we need to make and we go to our parents and we go to a financial counselor, we go to people in our church, we seek out maybe a counselor of a a trusted employee or someone we work with, we believe it's God that gives us wisdom. When we, as, as parents, desire for our children to grow up like we do for Cole, to grow up and love and treasure the Word of God, We say, Lord, we pray that he would love the word of God, but in order for him to love the word of God, he needs to be able to read the word of God and understand the words that he's reading. That comes by way of teachers. Teachers are an answer to that prayer. As we pray for Cole to grow up to love God's word, part of that ingredient is the teachers who are teaching him how to read. Joyce Prince from Living Word, who her husband is is an elder at Living Word, she taught me how to read in first grade. And I'm so grateful for that. I see, I'm like, you taught me how to read. Thank you so much. You've given, you've opened to me the word of God. That is, I can't think of a more important thing. And so I think we need to get a bigger picture of what we are doing in our jobs. What are we doing in our life? But what if your job is not that rewarding? What if you're not a doctor or a school teacher or a boss or a life share leader? What if that isn't your profession? 
What if you're just there to pay the bills? What if you just slave away day in and day out just so we can get a paycheck so we can have food? I remember one of my first jobs when I started working at Leaps was mopping floors, taking out garbage. And um, when the dumpster got full of garbage, I would go out to the dumpster and jump around in the dumpster so we can have more room for the few bags of garbage we needed to fit in there. Okay. And I don't know if, um, I don't, is my dad in here? Did you ever have to jump around the dumpster? Grandpa never made you do that? Okay. It was just me. I don't know. Is, uh, is, where's Billy at? Is Billy in here? Okay. But there's been a couple of people. I'm like, am I the only guy that had to do the dumpster jumping? Am I, is that just, is that just my job? And you know, as you think about it, it was like, man, it'd be in the middle of summer. Now garbage has been in there for a week. You're like, man, I got to go around, don't jump in the dumpster again. It's like, oh, can we just hire like some more service or something? Why don't, what if your job, what if your job is the dumpster jumper, right? What if you're not the, the high profile job? Well, Adam and Eve had the best job in the world, working in the Garden of Eden, Eden Landscape Management, until sin entered the world. We see this in Genesis 3. I just want to read for us Genesis three seventeen and 19 quickly because this also for us is foundational in our understanding of a vocation and why, why things are not the way they should be, why things have gotten tough, why their jobs aren't always as rewarding as they should be. Why, why, we, why are we the ones that always have to be the dumpster jumpers? Or maybe just me. This is what Genesis three seventeen through 19 says. And to Adam, he said, this is the Lord speaking, because you have listened to the voice of, of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and the dust you shall return. So that's the curse. That's the curse. We see God at work through, through our vocations. Like I said, we pray, Lord, help. Help Cole to grow up to, to know Jesus and love your word, and we see that teachers are the, are the answers that, that, that prayer other people are, churches, but we also see the devil at work in vocation as well. So people should be helping one another, but there's times when that doesn't happen. People get greedy. People don't want to serve one another. Instead of doing things for the betterment of other people, we don't care. We just do it for the betterment of ourselves. Instead of parents caring for and loving their children, there's abuse and abortion. Instead of marriages being a perfect example of Christ loving the churches, there's, there's hurt and there's pain and there's bickering and fighting. In politics, where there should be people who've been elected to serve those, they've been elected to serve and what they're supposed to do. Instead, they're stealing and taking from people. We don't have any problems like that in Lake County, thank goodness. We see people accept money for a job, which they never show up to do. People sin in their vocations and sin against their vocations. And if we do not know what our vocation is or what our responsibilities before God actually are or realize the purpose of our vocations, then much of what we do on a daily basis will appear meaningless and without purpose. That's the reality of it. If we don't get a picture for this, then a lot of what we do and the way we spend our life, 
It's just going to be the daily grind again. It's just going to be meaningless. And you can understand why this is so important for us. Because this transforms our everyday life. We begin to see things through new eyes. We begin to understand that God has a purpose in it all. We begin to see ways in which we can bring glory to God. We begin to see ways in which God is at work all around us. And it takes the the mundane, ordinary life, and it begins to introduce the very presence of God in all that we do. This is so important for us. This is so very important for us to understand. So this is... This message is just the introduction message. We're going to be looking at, in the next four weeks, looking at the different kind of spheres that Martin Luther broke our life into. So one week we're going to look at our, our actual where we work. The next week we're going to look at family. The week after that we'll be looking at um, our church. And the next week we're looking at government, the way that we're involved, and the way that we participate as, as citizens. And so this is just the introduction. So we're going to do quickly, we're going to run through just a, a quick look at history and how this has been formed. I know this isn't, the most exciting stuff in the world. But this gives us a foundation because we, in order for us to understand where we are today, we need to understand where we came from and how, what we came out of, okay? So, quickly, vocation is just a Latin word for, the, for calling. It's just a calling. And God calls all the time. God calls us to faith through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 7.15, God calls us to a way of life. And in the medieval church in the 16th century, having a vocation meant you were exclusively working full-time at a church. And so your job, having a vocation, having the vocation, meant that you worked for a church. And you, you had to full, serve God fully and have a full-time commitment to God in order to be holy or be separated from everything else for him. And that being said, you were either a, a monk, a priest, or a nun. Those are your three options if you wanted a vocation. You had those three jobs, okay? But what that meant for everybody else, being the farmer or soldier or even the king or just a a kitchen maid, that you were worldly. You were in the world and you were worldly, but it was necessary because you had to provide food. So it was a worldly understanding of, of work. But then the Reformation happened and things began to change. The reformers insisted that priests and monks and nuns did not have a special favor with God. They didn't have a corner on the market. They weren't the only ones that that were able to understand the word of God and communicate with God. They broke those doors wide open. And this is where we get our understanding of the priesthood of all believers. And so the priesthood of all believers is this understanding that every single one of us can, can have the word of God and understand the word of God and communicate to God and share the word of God with other people without having to be a full-time person in, in ministry. That is for everybody. And we believe that today. That it is all of us as believers, our awesome responsibility, our joy, that we could take the word of God and allow this word to affect us, not primarily only at church, but every day in our car driving to work, at home, when we, as we have quiet time, when we're talking with our children about God, that we can share the word of God together. That doesn't just take a full-time position to do that. And so this is still our understanding today. And you can see where 
this would be a great hindrance for people. Because if you believe that the only way that you could hear the word of God is only through me, and therefore if, if I told you something wrong or maybe I wasn't here on a Sunday morning, well, you were then without the word of God. You had no hope. Or what if you were someplace that you didn't have a, you didn't have a local church? Well, you're out of luck. But that's why we say, no, no, all of us are called to know God's word and to share God's word with one another and to fellowship with the Lord. That is all of our responsibility as believers. And so along with having a vocation or callings that included holy responsibilities as a pastor, we also believe that as all of us in our, in our work, it is a holy calling before God. And because we all come to God by grace, not by what we do. And we sang that this morning. We all come to God by grace. It is God's mercy to us that draws us to himself, that gives us eternal life, that imparts to us his Holy Spirit and draws us into fellowship with himself. That because of that, because God doesn't make any distinction amongst people, he does it by grace, not by our works. We believe that there isn't a job or a vocation like a pastor or a monk or a nun that brings anyone any closer to God. It's by grace alone, not by our works. So the priest of all believers did not turn everyone into a church workers. Rather, it turned every kind of work into a sacred calling. Every kind of work that has been looked down on like farmers and craftsmen was now the occasion for priesthood, exercising service to God and our neighbors. So as you go to work, you're going to work as a priest of God. As you serve in your home, you are serving as a priest of God. As you go to vote on election day, you are serving as a, as a priest of God. As you do all these things, you are acting as a, as a priest of the Lord. So we're going to look at vocation through the lens of Martin Luther, like I said. And he was concerned about how to be a, not how to be a better worker, but Martin Luther's concern was how does God work on the earth? How does God work on the earth? And vocation is God's actions, God's provisions, God mani- God's manifestation, not just our own. So we understand that because as we, even as we pray, God, give us this day our daily bread and the bread shows up, we understand that is from the Lord. That is God's work that brought this to my table. But we also understand that even as workers, it is God at work in us to do his work. It is God who's giving us the strength, God who's enabling us, God who gives us our vocation. It is God at work. When we see that vocation is God at work through us, it makes the mundane chores and the work an opportunity to glorify and honor God with our lives. And it gives value to what we do. And it is the way that we bring the reality of God down to earth. This is how we bring the work of God to earth through our everyday lives. So this is God at work through you. We're going to talk about that. This is God at work through you. This is God working. This is God working. So we understand, like I said in Ephesians 2, we are saved by grace and not by works. I just want to read that real quick. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's not by what we do that God has given us salvation. It is by God's grace that we have salvation. We believe that. 
Salvation is a work of God, not, of, not our work. But, now look in the following verse in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here we have it. We're not saved by works. It's God at work. But God is the work man creating these good works for us. This is God through and through. This is God from front to back, from the start to the end. God is at work. God is the one who is working around us and in us and through us. So we're saved by grace. It's not by what we do. But our relationships with others, yet it does include works. Our relationships with one another include good works towards one another. This is what God has prepared for us to do. I want to just read this. We We all come to God by grace and not our works. That is why all vocations are equal before God. There is not one that brings us any closer to God than another. A priest or nun or monk is not different in God's eyes than a truck driver, a mill worker, or a school teacher. All come to God by grace. And in God's kingdom, we are all equal in importance. We are all sinners saved from our sins. I want to read to you just an excerpt out of um, Edward V's book that I thought was very helpful in this, my understanding. We often speak of serving God. And this is a worthy goal. But strictly speaking, in the spiritual realm, it is God who serves us. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In our vocations, we are not serving God. We are serving other people. Luther excoriated the monks, the monastic hermits, who claimed that they were doing such good works and spending all of their time in prayer and devotion. These are not good works at all, he said. Who are they helping? To offer religious exercises as good works before God while hiding yourself away from other people who might need your help is to miss the point. Genuine good works have to actually help someone. In vocation, we are not doing good works for God. We are doing good works for our neighbor. This locates moral action in the real messy world of everyday life, in the conflicts and responsibilities of the world, not in inner attitudes or abstract ideals, but in concrete interactions with other people. So this is the work of the Lord in us and around us. So what's the purpose of vocation? What's the purpose of all of this? It's simply this, to love our neighbors. Vocation is a way in which we love our neighbors. Practically speaking, this is as practical as it just means to love our neighbors. And really, this is the litmus test for all of our, for all of our works. But yet, how often in our own lives do we find it's so hard to do this? This is the purpose of it all, but yet in our own lives, it's so hard to do this. It's so hard to lay our lives down or get our eyes off of ourselves and continue to give of ourselves. God uses vocation as a means by which he brings this out of us. Here's what I mean. As parents, as you had your first child, you didn't know what it meant to give of yourself night and day. You didn't realize how selfish you were. You didn't realize how self-centered you were until you had this baby. And life got really complicated all of a sudden. 
You want to go see a movie? Oh, before we just jump in the car and go see a movie. But now we need to get a sitter to make sure we find a movie that fits in the right time while the sitter's there. And then we need to go over the, the bedtime and the meal time and how to care for the baby's rash. And, and then what happens if he, you know, chokes on some food and then we're going to call 10 times while, while we're out to make sure he's doing okay. And life has got really complicated. But God uses the vocation of parenthood to bring that out of us. To bring that out of us. To bring the care and love and sacrifice of our own preferences and our own desires to care for someone else. He uses the doctor, he uses vocation to do that as parents. Even if you think of a ruthless business owner, someone who cares only for himself, he's in business, he's got a number of employees, he treats them unkindly, he speaks to them unkindly. But yet God uses this unrighteous man to provide people with money to buy a meal, to buy food for their family and maybe insurance for their family. God uses the ruthless business owner, the unrighteous man, to provide the righteous with bread, to provide the unrighteous with bread as well. God even uses unrighteousness, even in that, to provide for us. God uses this business owner in in his vocation despite his sin, for God's own loving purposes. And that's our hope. Now, we also see this, that God is hidden in vocation, but God is also hidden in our neighbor. And so, at the end, when, when, when Jesus gives an account of what happens at the very end of time, and Jesus says he separates the, the sheep and the goats, he says something shocking and surprising to everybody. Something that they did not expect to hear. He says, when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When when I was sick, you came and took care of me. And both the sheep and the goats are, are, uh, what he's talking about. And Jesus simply says, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. The implications of that are this. The farmer and others who are feeding the hungry are actually feeding Christ. The nurse at the hospital is actually caring for Christ. The mom at home who slaves away cleaning and changing dirty diapers and and picking up and, and all these things, she's actually clothing Christ. Jesus accepts what we do for others as if we had done it unto him. When we love and serve our neighbors, it is Christ who we are actually loving and serving. And I want us to understand that because as we look into vocation, it is God says, you are actually serving me. It's not just you're in the classroom and these unruly kids are are messing around and the temptation is just to, to go off on them and scream and shout at them and sit down and... It's actually Christ in that classroom that you are teaching. When we, as as a mom, you're home all day, God says you have the opportunity every day to care for Christ. He says, as you care for that baby, it's as if you are caring and looking after me. You're not just a truck driver. You are actually providing food for me. You're not just a steel mill worker. 
you're actually working at a place that's going to provide steel for the vehicles in which we're going to deliver the food for people, which is an answer to prayer. It's actually an answer to prayer that we're doing all these things. It says, when you do it unto the least of these, it's me that you've done it unto. So this is so important for us. This will change. If we can get a hold of this, this will change our daily lives to see that the work that we do is God at work on the earth. And it's a way in which we bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ. And it's a way in which we answer, our, answer the prayers of the people around us. I'm so thankful for just, just the way in which God would choose to use us as his people. He didn't leave us without purpose. He gave us a purpose. He said, man, it, at the last day, you're going to be surprised when you find out that kid as you were in the classroom, you took time to explain and work through, even though there's nothing in you, you want to take care of him. That was me. That baby that was screaming and crying and, and, and angry as they're teething or they hurt themselves and you, you, you cradled them in your arms and you took care of them and you lovingly helped them and, and looked after them. That was me. That was me that you were doing that for. And I'll accept that and say, that was me. Well done, good and faithful servant. I want to just close with just an opportunity for us just to reflect. And I want to take a moment before we close in prayer for each one of us to ask God right where we're at. God, how can, how can this impact my life? How can... How can in what I do, whether it be in the home or at the job or at church or even in in whatever service that I give, how can I begin to understand this as a way in which I'm serving you? And ask God to begin to change our understanding of things. Ask God to give us a heart that desires to continue to to serve and to bless and to honor him. Then we're going to close with prayer. So let's do that. Lord, we thank you this morning that that you have chosen to go to work on our lives. God, that you've not left us where we were, but that you took hold of us and you began to work in us and you've prepared good works for us. But God, we understand it is you at work all along. God, we first and foremost want to thank you for our salvation. God, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you took hold of us, not because of what we've done, but because of your grace and your mercy. And Lord, I pray that as we begin to to understand and look into the doctrine of vocation these next few weeks, that it would transform the way in which we live our everyday life. That even as tomorrow, as we wake up to go to work, God, that you would begin to speak to us. God, that you would begin to open our eyes to see how you are at work already and how you call us into relationship with yourself. So God, we thank you for this morning. God, thank you for just being here with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.